0: When you're editing, you have to be willing to show people your work and get feedback because you're in the room and and as the director, you're living with it. And you have to be willing to cut things out, massive chunks of your film, just chop them out if they're not working. You can't be afraid to do that.
1: Welcome back to Nothing Shines Like Dirt, episode 31. I'm Leslie Shannon. And I'm Elise Sievert. Today we speak with Sherry Berman, director and editor. We chat with her about working with Tony Award-winning actress Alice Ripley, an editor's brain on sets. And Pink Mist, Ghost in the Attic, with, with Bizarre,
2: bizarre grandmothers. grandmothers.
0: Wait here. You know how the Long Island Railroad has that... Have you guys ridden the wrong Long Island Railroad? Mm-hmm. So you went yeah. on the platform and it says the 859 train is operating five minutes late, right? And I was walking to this building and I... It's been so hectic and I've been so discombobulated with my life lately, getting stuff done, but discombobulated that I was, any little achievement is like, yay, go me, right? So I'm walking and I'm like, it's 5 to 11. And I'm like, Sherry is operating on time. And I was like, I'm doing better than the Long Island Railroad. Not that I took that today. I live in Brooklyn, but that's not the point. The point is if I was the Long Island Railroad, I would not be doing as well as I did this
2: morning. So I get it. I know that sounds <laughs> so, like a weird thing to be going. This no, it makes <laughs> me think of one of my good friends. Anytime you're like racing to catch a flight, she's like, I just imagine techno music playing. <laughs> and it makes it, so you go from angry to like laughing like at yourself. And so I that's the same thing. Like... Sherry awesome. is right on time. Instead, you're like listening to techno, and you're like running down the, you know, through the airport. I have I don't a friend know. who's it's like, I need my own life soundtrack to keep me oh, moving. Oh, yeah. I do that all the
1: time. I have, Um, I remember whenever um my husband and I first started dating, I was like, if your life had a soundtrack, what would it be? He's like, <laughs> 70s funk music. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, all right. Yeah, you got to um, set the mood. Yeah, you do. You got to like it's it's got to it's it's got to be what you need it to be that day, too. I feel like your soundtrack has to change from day to day. So, Sherry, talk to us about editing. <laughs> all right.
0: So, let's talk about editing and and directing and all sorts of things. Um so
1: We need to give you a specific question about
2: editing. Um, we had a little incident where we thought we were recording and we, we weren't, so we're we're going to so It was my blog moment for the day. Oh, awesome! That's, that's totally fine. Um, is how? indie film in
0: the making right now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? Yeah. So the card's full. Um, uh, that yeah. last five shots we didn't. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't
2: get the whole day. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know when we tied in, we kind of blew that up, but it's all good. <laughs> it's, Ceiling's no longer on fire. <laughs> yeah. There wasn't fire on the sugar set. Actually. So oh, no. Oh no.
1: Okay. About that,
0: so and and I have to say in defense of the gaffer, he's amazing, and uh, yeah, I think it, I think, and I could be wrong. It was his first feature. He had fully, you know, been the gaffer on. I obviously, he is an electrician, um, electric, uh, so he knows what he's doing. But we were rushing, and we were trying to make something happen in a space that we all kind of knew couldn't happen. But on an indie set, when somebody's like, "I have an idea," and you're like, "All right, let's just let's go for it, let's try it," and they tried to do something in the. Uh, Some fabric, I'll just say fabric, got caught caught on fire. Fabric we owned, not the place. The place was totally secure. Nobody got hurt. It was put out. It just got like, I wouldn't even say on fire. It wasn't like big flames. sounds really cool, though, to say it was on fire. But it was just smoking and turning brown. (laughs) (laughs) Toasty like marshmallows. It was kind of like we had a little (laughs) campfire going. It was great. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, they put it, it was fine. It was totally safe because he knows what he's doing. And it was, you know, we just had to move on. But things happen and you just have to go, okay, so we have to stop now and... And I talk about this all the time, that you really have to be on the side of your crew. I see directors who, even though sometimes it is a dictatorship on the set to move things along, you have to be respectful of your crew and take care of them. And when your DP comes to you and says, I'm really sorry, I let the gaffer, because in the end, she approved it, um this happened. I just I wanted to let him try it out I think you know he's he's learning and he's trying to do something new and he's been doing such a great job which he has because I think she was defending him because some people would just fire people for making mistakes which that is not a reason to fire someone you know, sometimes you have to fire people off your set but that is not a reason and I remember just looking at her saying it's fine like and she was like oh and i'm like it's you know whatever like this day was going wrong anyway so now it's just extra wrong but we're getting it all in one day so it's good like now you have a story
2: for festivals yeah yeah. lemons lemonade man (laughs) (laughs) Like, i get to sit here and
0: drink more coffee um, because i could drink coffee all day and i do have to say it's nice to have assistance on set um Just throwing out there a little shout out to the assistant world because we had people jumping in as assistants who weren't really, they were visitors who were like, let me help. I'm not a filmmaker, but I'll help. And one day I was drinking a lot of coffee and I put my coffee down and I turned to grab my coffee and there was a bottle of water. And across the room was this woman named Lindsay, who's awesome. And she was holding my coffee and smiling and going pointing at the coffee and shaking her head, no, you're going to drink water now. Because I was like, I hadn't slept in like 20 hours. And I was totally, you know, seeming like a Coke to addict, which I am not. Rehydrate. Rehydrate, yeah. yeah. You,
1: are you going to shoot through the roof? You might not have had sleep, but I'm- you did, were <laughs> powered by coffee fuel.
0: Yeah. Powered <laughs> um, by coffee. That's like an has, ad right there.
2: How has editing helped you
1: as a director decide your
2: shot list, decide how you want to shoot a film? Um, it could be probably very overwhelming because – as an editor, you probably have a lot of cool ideas. but Yeah,
0: yeah. So that is a very fine question. Uh, when you're deciding your shot list, if you know you're going to be editing your project, you obviously come up with all these crazy ideas and you'll have lists and lists and lists of shots. And then you have to have the director slash partial producer because when you direct on an indie film, you're also... You have to be thinking like a producer. You just don't have a choice. Um, you have there's that part of your brain saying we're never going to get to all of this. We need to, you know, you you're almost, it's like you're having a conference with yourself in your head, and you have to think, okay what do I really need for this shot as the director? How is that going to work as the editor in the end? It's also going on the set with your shot list and then discovering we're going to do 10 shots today. No, we're not. We're doing three because that's what we have time for or that the space doesn't allow for what we wanted to do and it's thinking on your feet. And, and being able to make what might be considered bold decisions in some ways, I, I don't know that they really are, but, you know, I was mentioning this earlier to you that my husband, you know, said something, he, my husband's Chris Banker, who's a fabulous filmmaker, and he said something to me a long time ago about filmmaking that when you're editing... It's like a symphony, so you have different movements in your film. You don't want everything paced the same way. You want to have variations throughout your project, and so sometimes the editor part of you has to be shut down of, like, I could have all this footage, and I could do all these cool things, and I could edit the six different ways if I had all this footage, but in the end, what do you need as the director in that scene? And sometimes a oner is the answer. It's one shot. That's it. And that's one of my favorite moments in Sugar, actually. Well, there's a couple of favorite moments. One is... There's the shot in the mirror where Alice and uh, Alice Ripley and the bartender are looking at each other in the mirror. She senses that he's looking at her, and we and they catch each other's eye in the mirror. And there's a scene going on, but you're, that's what you're really watching. It's not about the dialogue. It's about the visual and what you're watching in the shot. And that's a wonder. It didn't need cutting. It would have actually damaged it had there been cutting in that shot. So, there are things like that that you know you have to you have to think about i'm trying to figure out how to word this you have to think about like how can i make this vision like this vision i have as a director different when i'm in the post room like how can i create it in a way that's going to accentuate points that i want to make and then continue but continue the pace of the film And and that's 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 a harder that's a harder thing to explain um but yeah, I think it, it helps to be the editor. It hinders to be the editor. Um, you, you need outside people looking at your stuff all the time. We were talking about that too, that you know, when you're editing, you have to be willing to show people your work and get feedback because you're in the room and, and as the director, you're living with it. And you have to be willing to cut things out, massive chunks of your film, just chop them out if they're not working. You can't be afraid to do that. I learned that a lot on my first feature Um because it was it's a crazy nonlinear film really about uh the, it's really a portrait of a woman over thirty five and uh, what's going on in her head and how she feels about things more than a story, which was a very big thing to tackle as a first feature. <laughs> and I'm really grateful to the people who worked on the project, Caroline Luff, the lead and Chris who who actually shot it 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 really. It really made a difference that they were willing to come back in and redo things. You really need a team. And this, is, this goes back to talking about you have to take care of your crew. Because if you don't have your crew behind you and your team behind you, you will fail as an indie filmmaker. You can't be so insecure. I see this all the time. There's like this insecurity that comes out with some directors. And they, they, they alienate people. And that is, it's just like life. You, you can't do that because then you end up friendless. And you can't be friendless on an indie set, you know you need your people um so that's that's important i'm I'm trying to think of some other things we were talking about
2: because um well i lo- i I love that idea of creating it's a symphony for for editing, and I know you you said earlier like everyone like every director should try editing if not for their feature, just know how it goes so that on set you can figure out how things piece together. Yes. Do you have any advice for like people that are just starting out editing? Like what, like, is it just to edit stuff? Like just, just edit stuff for people and just practice. Is that kind of how you get better at it? Is there, I think edit your own stuff to be honest, because
0: when you, when you're forced to edit your own stuff, you have to make all the decisions right or wrong. And the good thing is it's just you like, Make a project. Um, it's the same thing as a director. If you're an actor and you want to direct, go out and you know, maybe you bring in a DP, you know, you don't want to take this overwhelming to do every job, but you know, bring somebody in and just it's my project, so I'm gonna tell you why I wanna shoot it this way, I wanna do all these crazy angles, or I wanna, you know, uh, run and gun, or I wanna whatever it is that you wanna do, and then see how how are those pieces gonna to come together. And you know, maybe, maybe on a project, you don't even light it, like, it's not a project to be shown to the world, just to be clear. It's a project for you to practice on. But I think going out and directing and seeing what it's like to pick the pieces, and then bringing them in the room and going, Oh, crap, I picked the wrong pieces, or Oh, here, I magically picked the right ones. Who knew? You know, that's a good way to learn. And you know, because things like film school, I didn't actually go to film school. I actually have a degree in theater, theater Ooh. arts. Um, I could direct, I wanted to direct uh, experimental Chekhov plays, so just try to imagine that. <laughs> in your head um, like the living theater meets Anton Chekhov. Um, <laughs> Sounds brilliant. It, it would have been brilliant. There's no money in that. There's no money in anything, actually, but uh, that was... <laughs> <laughs> this is sure not a business having for an money. economic crisis right now like. <laughs> um, but... Give me money. I'm a filmmaker. Uh, no, I, I'm joking. I mean, you can give me money, and I'd love to take it and make a film for you. But, um, but I think you know when you're when you're directing. So when you're directing on a set, you do have to think like an editor. Is my point. Whether or not you're actually editing, I'm talking about indie film. Like if you're in a Hollywood film, it's a whole other world, and people will say to me, "That's not that person's job." And what? Yes, because they have millions of dollars, and they can go and shoot it again, and they can. Recreate the world if they want to. But when you're on an indie set, you have to think, okay, we were going to get, in all seriousness, 10 shots today. We're only going to get three. Is it going to work in the end? What are the three I really need to not only make it piece together, but to keep the feel of what I want? Because you don't want to end up shooting it like a sitcom. Wide shot close-up on A, close-up on B, wide shot, laugh. Like, you don't want to end up with that unless you're making a crazy kind of, you know, indie film that's mocking that or something, you know, then that might work really great. Um, but if you really have a vision, it's knowing that, and we were talking earlier, there's this, there's this shot in Sugar of, of Alice Ripley, who's, who's wonderful. Everybody on this, that was wonderful. Bobby Clough, um, Robert Clohessy, just wonderful people who really were willing. These are people I'm sure are used to working on projects with more money, and they were willing to like okay i'm in i'm in i'm in all the way and i'm going to help you make this the best it can be and there was this this part where alice was playing with a tangerine peel and in the in the shot she just that's just an action she was doing which i love when actors bring little actions in with them because it, it that's what makes characters real um so she was playing with this peel and there was a continuity issue uh, in the scene uh, which i won't get into whatever it's painful. And, um, I realized, watching it, we were going to have a, I was going to have a problem in the editing room to get around it, to not make it obvious. And there were, there were a few different things going on that were, that were complicating the matter. So... I insisted on getting a shot of Alice's hands playing with her tangerine peel. And it worked for a few reasons. One, it saved the scene at one point because I really didn't have anything to cut to. I mean, there's always a way, but then it's like you might just have to eat that the continuity is not good or I don't like that other shot or whatever, but I'm stuck with it kind of thing. You don't ever want to say good enough. That's like the worst thing to hear on a set, good enough. Or in the editing room, well, it's the best we're going to (laughs) get. That's like, oh, God, I just like, that's like you know you're in the gymnastics team at the olympics and it's like well you're gonna come in like 28 out of 27 people but you know good enough you came you know it's like <laughs> how did i manage that failure um so you don't want to be in that boat that was a weird analogy maybe you want that it. out i no. don't know i love it i like <laughs> the weirdness <I'm> just- <laughs> um but um Anyway, Alice is playing with a tangerine peel, and I insisted, and it was it was like a little emotional trying to get it done because, you know, her nails hadn't been done, and of course the makeup people want her nails to look right, you know, because... That's important to them, which it is. It is in the end. Well, it's it's important to to her her, character, It's important to her character because they specifically put on sparkly nail polish. It's all these little things. Again, it's the little things that people bring from their expert field. Having a makeup person who's like, no, we're going to put on a little bit of sparkle because even though here she's still the, quote, housewife role in her life, there's that little bit of I'm still a rock star uh, going on, which I thought was great. That was Michael Serapiglia. I think I actually said your name right, Michael. I'm amazing. <laughs> um, I suck with the names. Um, but anyway, she's playing with this peel. So it saved the, the scene, but it also was sort of like a little emotional moment. Like she's peeling away at her life. Like I, I'm not saying Alice sat and thought, oh, it's like an onion I'm peeling. I've layers, you know, or something cheesy. I don't, I don't mean it that way. But it is sort of a reference to that. She's trying to break through, and it's a nice little moment that she has this little peel in her hand. Like what do I do with this little thing I'm holding on to like, what do I do with it? And so it was a nice moment in the end. And again, it also just saved the scene. And it's watching for those things. And it's having people who trust you. You know, Fletcher Wolf, who is DP on the film, she's also awesome. She, uh, you know, would say, "Do do you have enough coverage? Because that's not what she's not an editor. I mean, she's done some editing, certainly, because again, she gets it. (laughs) Um, but she is, is that enough? Are you going to be, Oh yeah, yeah. I know. I got, no, I figured it out. Sometimes you're on the set and you're like, this scene is not going to make it into the movie. I hate to say it when we're shooting it, but I can already see this needs to go. So it's knowing how to talk to your DP when they're like, no, it wasn't good because they know the camera shook or they're trying to do something and it, it just they didn't pull focus right or something. And it's like, no, we buzzed. We, we can't. We have to redo it. And it's like, no, it's good. I'm t- trust me. It's good. And just having a dialogue that lets them know, oh, okay, it's going to be taken care of in post. Like this is either not going in or she's got some other idea. And again, trusting the person. I mean- Clohessy actually called me after one of the scenes or emailed me because everybody was emailing because it was late. Um, nobody's sleeping and you're always worried you're home. They might be getting their one hour of sleep right now. Let me <laughs> not bother them. Um, so, you know, but was like, you know, he emailed them. We got on the phone. He's like, I just, I don't, I don't feel like that, that scene went well because he's, he's been doing this for, I mean, Robert Clohessy, if you look him up on IMDb, he's been doing this since the early seventies and, yeah. um, and so he's like, I, I you know, he was really worried and I was I finally just said, I'm not putting that scene in the movie. I'm a good editor, trust me. And he was like, Oh, okay. Now here's a guy, he doesn't know me from Adam, right? He's been in this industry forever and he's trusting me. Yeah. As you know, he you have to have faith in people. If you don't, don't do the project, right? Like you either have to be in, okay, I'm gonna trust this person. I mean, the crew came to see the film and they were they didn't know what to expect at all. And they were like we made a good movie, you know? And it's like, not that they were surprised in the sense everybody worked hard, the actors were good, you know, it, it, the great characters and all these things, but it's just, you have to have faith that it's going to all come together. Um, there's that great line in, in Shakespeare in Love, right at the end of the film, which I'm going to misquote, where it says there's all this, I'm not going to say it wrong, but there's a line about everything seems to go wrong and there's no way it can come together, but somehow in the end it just does. And that's not the quote, look it up, you'll do better. They, <laughs> um, <laughs> see, not an expert at quoting names, things like that. I know, I need like somebody who just does that for me. How, how is I working Allison with assistant.
2: Alison Riffley? Because she's Tony winner. I'd love to see her in Next to Normal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and incredible. she's done a little bit of film and TV, but... Um, yeah,
0: she has. Um, so Alice is great. She uh, She's very funny. And it's so weird because when I came to the project, so I have to tell you the story because this is actually really, this is eye-opening. And I have to give a shout out to Jan Eliasberg who has been directing television consistently. She's amazing uh, as a woman being out there and doing it. Um, she gave me some great advice because when the film started, uh, I got all these stories. Alice Ripley is a drug addict, Right, which is not true. Just want to say, but Alice Ripley has a drug problem, and and this all comes out of because she played in Next to Normal and the character and there's,
1: you yeah, know, broken. Yeah, um, she doesn't have a drug problem in that. No, though. she doesn't yeah. have a
0: drug problem. But I mean, I think people saw her as being like,
1: unhinged. broken,
0: unhinged. That's the right word. Very good. Thank oh, you. Oh,
2: you're welcome. Because she's in. An- good actress because she's (laughs) she's an actor
0: (laughs) that's her job um i'm putting like little my hands around my mouth as i'm
1: commenting i know
0: you guys can't see this but yeah it's like my side note
1: Um, yeah every single time like she gets really close to the microphone and puts her hands around it like she's gonna it's like a little megaphone it's pretty awesome
0: continue (laughs) my side commentary to myself um but (laughs) but so i was told so so here we are right Alice Ripley's a drug addict, and, and Robert Clohessy is going to hit on all your women and insult them and just be terrible to have on set with an all-women crew, and you shouldn't have hired him for this film. Also not true. Um, so I, I was talking to Jan, and I was like, she deals with all kinds of people, and I'm like... I'm like, Jan, like what I you know, I'm kind of freaked out right now. Like they seemed fine when I talked to them on the phone and we met, and Robert Clohessy sat with me. We went through the whole script and you know, he wanted to help. So we were talking about the scenes and how how, you know, his own insights into them. And it was great. And, you know, I talked to Alice. We sat in the park. She sang with some musician who was singing in the park who had no idea who she was. She just started singing with him. It was hysterical. She seemed really friendly and together. And I'm like, and they're telling me that it's all gonna go wrong. And Jan said, don't believe anybody that's it that's the answer and it sounds so sane like duh what didn't I think of that but hearing it from somebody she's like I've gone on to sets where I've told this person's a problem that person's going to give you issues you're going to have arguments but she's like no it's all in how you choose to deal with people and all these stories so I just want to tell you Alice her assistant would go out and get her health food that's what Alice does She's not getting her heroin. She was getting her broccoli. Like, it's so ridiculous. And Robert Clohessy did not hit on anybody at all on my set. And I'm sure I would have been told. We had a lot of women on the set. It would have come out. He certainly did not do that at all in any way. He was very respectful, you know, and, and just, I, I just, it's mind-boggling. So that's a little bit of advice, too. You just You have to have confidence in the people you meet with, and you have to go with your own gut
2: think that's a good thing for life too right like stories are stories and everyone is different and you don't know there's two sides to every story too so when you're when you hear a story you don't know what really went down because you're only hearing one side of it right and then
0: and also like you have to do your own investigation like you know for for Clohessy for example he's he's just well this is more recent after the film but it just as a reference he was just in my art which is a female filmmaker he was in um Ooh, another film that just played at IFC, also a female filmmaker that I can't remember the name of right now. But, you know, these are all women making films and they're all hiring him. So what? They're all insane. No, 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 no. <laughs> no not. He wouldn't continue to
1: keep getting hired for those type of projects. Right, so you just
0: have to like somebody's just got a uh, grind like to axe or an axe to grind. Sorry, that was backwards. But in editing, that would be cool to run it backwards, just saying. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) He's got a, you know, somebody's got an axe to grind, or they just heard some rumor, or they just want to create drama. And that's the other thing, too. We had a few people working on our film, I, I will not call out names, who but tended to create drama that wasn't there. And pitting people almost against each other. And you just have to cut that off. Like, at some point, you just have to ignore the drama and and just do your job, just do your job. Um, that goes on a lot. And sometimes it's just people's way of keeping themselves motivated. It, it sounds weird, but you could, you could step outside and analyze the drama creation. And you're like, this is just somebody's way to make themselves feel important or needed, or I'm essential here. And you just kind of have to separate it out, you know, be your own like old time stage manager where you're sort of the psychiatrist behind the scenes well the psychologist because hopefully you're not giving out medication
2: to people <laughs> if it's gotten to that point dude it's like no um, no
0: that's bad news bad news um, but yeah I think there's a lot of that where you
2: know. do you start as a director like if it's, if it's your own script or if it's somebody else's script like deciding the the kind of vision for the film, like the colors, the the feel of it, the tone of it, like, yeah, do you do go you to music, start? do you go to magazines, like, where do you get your inspiration from for that? That is a very good question, really, like, I, thank you.
0: Um, you know, when, when I write, I actually start with the visuals in my head. I used to not write that way when I first started writing stuff because I came from a theater background and, and directing theater. And, it's different. And then one day, well, again, Chris Banker, awesome man in my life, but I have to say as, as a just a, as an artist, he introduced me to a lot of films I had not seen. So I do watch a lot of different types of films. I've never been I only watch, you know, superhero movies or rom coms or whatever. But it wasn't as broad as it could have been. And when you start watching great filmmakers, and not to say that, I love rom-coms. I love Harry Potter. Like, you know, Harry Potter's got a nice place in my heart and all of these things. But when you watch Fellini and you watch Ozu and you watch Godard, because again, I didn't go to film school. I had film school at home is what I had, which was incredible. And I encourage everyone to do that. And then, you know, you start to you start to subliminally pick up on things. So, for example, I grew up, my my aunt is Phyllis Lamhut, my great aunt, who is a very well-known modern dance choreographer who also danced with Marie Lewis and Alva Nikolai and is uh, still mentoring in her 80s at the Joyce Theater and teaching at Tisch. Um, she's incredible, and I'm mentioning her not because, hey, my aunt's incredible, which she is, but because growing up watching her choreography and watching the work as a child, like, from, like, as long as I can remember, and they did crazy kinds of stuff on stage. Modern dance is always breaking formulas and always going unconventional, and you grow up with that, and so when I look at a screen, it's, to me, it's, I didn't even know what the rule of thirds was, the art history, you know, the art, whatever, rule of thirds that artists learn about. But I did because a dance stage is broken up and thirds vertically, horizontally, from the ground up. Like there's all different ways. That's the way it's broken down. So it's already ingrained in me on what a picture can look like. So when I start writing a script, I start to think about that now first. And I've been doing that for the last few years and the visuals and the color and everything. And this recent script, Pink Myth, which we can we can talk about again, but I started out, I wrote the script with hardly any dialogue first. I mean, it wasn't going to stay. I was not looking to make a silent film, but just starting out with what is the scene? What are we seeing? What is it going to feel like? How is it going to change scene to scene to create that symphony? What's going to go on? And then doing the dialogue later, because the dialogue is of course important. I am not trying to negate writers, but if you if you start with that, you get really. At least I would get really hooked into. Oh, but this di- I really like this joke, or I really like this thing. Or, <laughs> she says this really deep line, and it's like no. Like you got to come back to what is the vision of the film. So when I write, I start with that. Now, obviously, if somebody brings you a script, it's the other way. But when I read it, unless it's terrible dialogue where I can't help going, God, oh, this terrible. Um, if it's good dialogue, I don't really think about it. I start to think like, okay, let me, let me, who are these people? Like what, and I don't mean like what actor can play? I hate that. I hate that stuff. When people say to me, sorry, tangent, but it's one of my pet peeves. Well, who do you envision in this role? And I'm like a good actor. How's that? (laughs) Like, You know, I don't, I'm sorry. Like, yes, I know bringing names in is important and and certainly there are actors I love and and all that. But can we just talk about the film? Can we just talk about the film and stop? Like, what name are we going to drop? Like, that's great. Go hire a marketing person. I'd love for them to do that. I, No. So when I look at a script, you know, and people say to me, well, what do you think about this? I'm like, well, I see a character that behaves like this. And because she behaves like this, then we need to shoot it like this because we need to feel what she's feeling in the way we're visually looking at her in her behavior. Or maybe we're trying to show somebody else's view. Like Pink Mist is more this 12-year-old looking at the world. And so it's more, you know, well, how is she seeing them in their behavior? Because to them, it's normal, right? It's a flat, wide shot of a woman by a sink. But the kid is looking at it, and it's all turned sideways and upside down, maybe. I mean, that's just an extreme example. But you know what I mean. Like, you have to start thinking. So to me, immediately, you have to start thinking visually because you hope that the script is good, right? If you read a script and it's good, then you shouldn't be worried as the director about the writing, you know, you, you you have to worry about bringing the characters to life and trust in the writing that it's going to contribute to that as well as it should.
2: Um, well, there's yeah. so much, I know as a writer, um, the writing I've been doing, there's so much that gets left out of a script because you do want collaborators visually. And, you know, I think a lot of times when people start writing, they're like close up on such and such. And you're like, no, you have to take all of that out. And like, what what is happening what is going on? And what you said, like, how are these people behaving towards one another? and Right. Well, see, and and this is
0: an interesting concept, because I agree, and I don't agree. So yes, if you're writing a script that you're sending my understanding, and again, I I write for myself, I don't write for other people, I might write a few lines to help a scene for a film or something, but I'm not. So green assault. my advice coming from a non professional writer, but if, my understanding is if you're sending to an agent, that's what they want. They want the story. They want it to move. They don't want to get caught up. Like They don't want to be taken out of the story with shooting information. So that's 100% correct. However, me as a writer, I don't follow that. I don't want to save the cat. I Cat, <laughs> cats, I'm allergic to them. So <laughs> I can't worry about the cat. Um, so I write... I write very visually and there's a lot of descriptions and it, and it's interesting because I submit to things and I do have a friend Dan Azell is awesome and he um he's also a writer and and uh, he writes musicals as well I mean it's just very prolific but he um he teased he went through my script and was like you need to take this out when you submit this you need to take this out you need to don't, don't like just just take it out so I have a version of the script that's for submissions <laughs> For like, and I'm talking about festivals, not agents, you know, for festivals or le- writers' labs or things like that. But my script, I don't care about those rules. And I think when you when you're writing for yourself, you have to put everything out there because you, especially if you're going to bring it to other people. Like if I went to a DP like Fletcher, when she was hired onto Sugar. I sent her the script. The script is, is good. It's it's a solid script. It's a first-time writer. It's not a Pulitzer Prize-winning script, but, you know, it's fine. But that wasn't what was going to bring a DP into the film. I mean, yeah, you know, a very small paycheck, maybe, if she desperately needed money, which Fletcher works a lot. So I what brought her in was I said to her, this is how I see the film being shot. This is the vision I see for the film. In this scene here, for example, blah, blah, blah. So when we met, the first thing she said was, I'm interested in this film because I see you have a vision for it and you know what you want on the screen and I know I can add to that and and enhance it and and not only do what you're asking but bring more to the table and here's what I can bring to the table and have a conversation. So it depends who it's for. For me, I like as much information as possible in a script. I like to know that a writer, when they bring me something, even if it's not in the script, sometimes they'll just write a note because I get it. They have to write a certain way for other reasons, industry reasons. But... I like when I get a note, well, this is like, I, I see it as like, you know, it's an off kilter or th- like descriptive terms that I know they're not just like, I want you to shoot and make sure my dialogue is clearly heard
2: because
0: <laughs> I don't want to do it
2: <laughs> and
0: I'm not going to do it. And
2: then we're going to have a battle because. Well, that goes know, back to intentions of a project, too, which I'm finding out more and more like is so important Just like why are why is everyone making this project yes because that's the thing with people creating their own work sometimes it's not about the story it is like i need this for my reel or i need this and and as people come on they need to be aware of that
0: Right. Why are you doing? This? And and I I often oh that's so great because I um, so I'm editing Nitsan's film. Nissan mm-hmm. is a member of the the filmmaker hers. You should check out the filmmaker hers website. Get that little twist on the word filmmaker. Filmmaker hers. <laughs> I'm just putting that out there. Hey Stacy, how's it going? Um,
2: Stacy
1: Capone runs the filmmakers. So and she's why her name her. comes
2: up almost every every episode, episode because I she is the great connector. Yeah, she's she like is.
1: the matchmaker. She's the filmmaking matchmaker.
0: She is, and she's also a fabulous. Actor, and I hope everybody remembers that because sometimes I think Stacy. Sorry, Stacy. Now I'm going to go on the cheer for Stacy thing, but um, you know. But I think that sometimes she is a good organizer, and she is also a professional producer and, and earns money doing that. And yay, go her! But she's a fabulous actor as well, and I think sometimes that gets lost because of all the things she's doing for other people. So I just wanted to shout out that. So, what was your question? Oh my God, I just totally forgot.
1: What Wait. were you- we were talking about how um, Intention's going into it. Oh, oh right. Intention's yes. going into it. Yes.
0: So that's true. Like, Nitsan's film that I'm editing now, assigned to Guide to Living and Dying, is, you know, what is the purpose of the film? If you're trying to get to certain types of festivals, are you making this project for you? We had a whole conversation about that. What And, and her thing is she wanted to make the best film she could make. It is a vehicle for herself. She's an actor. It's been co-directed by her and her husband, um, whose name I can't pronounce, and she knows this, so I just call him Shush. That's his nickname. But shout out to Shush there. Um, so they, but they, this is obviously a film. It's an it's to me a very art film, very art house type film, and I think it could do very well at festivals in the right. Group of festivals, and I think that's part of her goal. And obviously, she wants to get distributed, and people have all kinds of things. But what is the initial goal, the first goal? Because that's that's you have. It's like applying to college. God, life just goes in circles, doesn't it? But you have the <laughs> schools you know you're going to get into. Like I can achieve this. These are some schools I really want to go to. And then I have this like far reach school, right? The reach school. I'm reaching out with my arms really wide now. So envision that. <laughs> have a vision for me. Um, so, but you you have to you have to have those goals and. Um, But what will you be okay and happy with? Because otherwise, there's no point in making the project. I think that people who make projects hoping that Hollywood is going to distribute it, like that's their only goal, is is a failure to begin with. Um, You can't make something for other people unless you're specifically hired. I mean, obviously, if Hollywood comes in Paramount says, we want you to make this, well, that's different. I'm talking when you're making an indie film what what is it? Are you are you making a political statement? Are you an actor who wants a vehicle? Are you just you just want to work? I was just talking to someone who has a project that they're working on. They're not trying to get names. They're not. Ra- they're going to raise a little bit of money to help themselves, but they just want to make the project. And in the end, you have to just want to make the project. And yeah, maybe you're like, look, I need this for my reel. So it's not some big story or political statement. This is what I need. This is the kind of footage I need. That's fine. I know people who don't even make full films. They make scenes from films. And then on the reel, it looks like they're on all these short films. Because, you know, in the end, the people watching a reel, if it's not a big movie, they don't really care where it played. If it didn't play Sundance or something like just industry wise, what I'm what I've learned in my life is that if it's not a big festival, it doesn't really matter. So if you're an actor making stuff for your reel, my personal advice is don't make a full short. Make a bunch of take that unless you have a lot of money, If you have a lot of money, make tons of shorts because why not go to festivals? They're fun. I love them. I love seeing shorts on a big screen. Um, that's like the most amazing thing. But In the end, if you're like, well, I'm on a limited budget, and I need a a rom-com scene, and I just need a minute, like, I don't even need the whole scene, or I need, uh, you know, a horror scene, or this is where my, you know, I I always play, like, the blue-collar mom, whatever it is, then then just shoot those scenes. Don't make full, why are you doing, why waste the money, you know, unless you suddenly want to be a filmmaker. Like, that's the thing, too. Like, what are you taking on? Because... Do you really want to be a filmmaker? Great. Anybody can learn to do a new career. And it sounds like thunder outside. outside. God is going to smite me down in a moment. (laughs) Sherry's speaking the truth too much. Stop now. You shouldn't have eaten that apple for breakfast.
1: Uh, But yeah, I wanted to ask you too, like tell us about your project that you're working on right now. Because it sounds amazingly interesting. All right. Well, Pink Mist. (laughs) Oh, and a barking dog. We can't. We're not allowed to have a podcast without having um, at least at least some sort of interruption. That's it is okay. that's called when you record in New York City. Yes. And these dogs are really cute, and they could play
0: twins. They are twins. They are twins. We're from the same litter. Oh, wow. Yeah. You should have your own show. You could be like the Olsen twins when they were in Full House and they played the same character. <laughs>
2: you guys could totally do that. You're so cute. Sorry,
0: cute. I'm, I'm not comparing okay. them to dogs. They're wanna, nice young I women, I'm sure. I want to put them in
2: a project I'm, one day, so we'll see. You we'll should. See if you should. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Hi, puppy. All right, sorry. So you were asking about Pink Mist. Yes. So Tell pink, me all about it. All oh, right. Well, Pink Mist is... A story about a 12-year-old amputee, her eccentric grandmother, and the Holocaust ghost that lives in the attic. I love that tagline. Who doesn't love that? Who doesn't want to see that? No, I'm joking. Well, I'm not really (laughs) joking, because it's going to be great. Um, (laughs) It's uh, the 12-year-old amputee uh, loses her foot in her parents in a car accident in September 2001. Obviously, a reference to September 11th, because I think this country went through a major shift then. And then she immigrates in a way to her grandmother's small town which was founded in the 40s after the war uh for you know all inclusive diversity town very much what america is you're tired you're hungry you're poor you're wretched um Emma Lazarus uh, can say that better I'm sorry sorry Emma um i i constantly misquoting that and it's terrible because it's such a great poem um but anyway uh So the film is about, she immigrates to this town, basically, that's founded on diversity. And on the surface, it seems like everybody cares about each other. But underneath, there's this systemic racism that goes on, that we are seeing more and more come bubble to the surface and come out. And in a way, when it comes out, it's, I don't want to say it's better, because racism is terrible, no matter how it's dished out. But at least we all know where we stand. I think, you know, my parents were very active in the 60s, civil rights movement, and, um, in their own way. I'm not saying they were great leaders, certainly, you know, they're not Martin Luther King. But, you know, and and in, in uh, you know, just, you know, equal rights, uh, you know, women's rights, my grandmother was involved with when she was younger, obviously, a long time ago, um, and all of those things. And a lot of achievements were made by those people. But as you were saying earlier, that I wonder if the current generation is being taught enough about that. I grew up in a family where culture mattered as much as learning how to do math. And so understanding where you came from or understanding the world around you or the issues of the world. I mean, I grew up listening to Tom Lehrer, which is a great way, actually, and it sounds weird if you know Tom Lehrer, is a political satirist from the 60s, who actually taught math at Harvard, just to prove my point that math and culture are both equal, um, And he's an amazing mathematician, actually. And he's a brilliant pianist and and, uh, lyricist. And he would write satires or or commentary on... The poli- polit- politics of the time. Um, he has this great song, National Brotherhood Week, and, and at the beginning of the song, he comments about how Malcolm X was killed that week. Because that's what, yay, National Brotherhood Week. That's what we're all about, you know. Because you know, and it's it's a spoof of like for this week, we're going to pretend that we all care about each other, but in the end, we'll go back to you know, you only have to tolerate people for a week, you know, you can do it, um, and then you can, you know. And tolerate, what does that mean? Like tolerate, that, that's such a terrible term. It is a really terrible I, term. I really hate it. I think like I'm tolerating you and your differences. That's like, I'm, I'm okay with the bad stuff. It's like, that's not bad stuff. That's who you are. You know, this whole, and, and that's like all these kind of like little PC lines that they throw out to young people. Like, I just think it's also enforcing the systemic racism they don't even know is being put upon them. And so this film, I'm trying to, like, show that, yes, a lot of achievements were made, but when civil rights were passed, and Lyndon B. Johnson, who in a lot of ways was not a good president, but in a lot of ways did a lot of good things, he passed civil rights laws and really, you know, saw that it needed to happen. I don't know what his personal views were on it, but he knew it needed to happen. It kind of just clamped down the people in the white hoods. It Mm -hmm. kind of clamped down the people who were anti-Semitic. It clamped down, like, you know, all, all different types of, you know, anti gay. Yay, anti-this, anti-that. Like it just clamped it down, but it didn't fix it. It didn't change the way people see each other. It just made it not okay to talk about. And the problem with that is, and again, great achievements, I get it. Like it's all steps towards something. And um there's a line in Pink Mist where the grandmother and her best friend, who happens to be a black woman, um, they have this great line where they say, it's not about the win, it's about the fight. You have to keep fighting. You're not going to win. You're not going to win, honestly, ultimately, but you might win the smaller battles and change somebody or at least change the world near you. And so I think that now, because we have this president who says whatever he thinks, which on one hand is like, oh my God, I can't believe he said that. And then on the other hand, it's like, well, at least... He's saying it. He's not coding in this political talk of we need to protect our children and the bathrooms need to be safe. It's like, no, I just think transgender people don't get equal rights. And I don't agree with that, obviously. I mean, I'm very much against that. And a member of H.R.I.C. Go H.R.I.C. But... I do want to say that, you know, at least, well, you know where he stands. You know who you have. Yeah. And that is coming out now in P- in general uh, civilians, in quotes there, you know, who are just now feeling it's okay to say these things. And, of course, it's not okay. But is it any better to just not say them but act on them silently in a quiet, subversive well, manner? You know, I don't know.
2: It was the first time I ever thought, like, well, maybe there can be a conversation now, even though I don't think that's happening because he's, right. he's so...
0: He's not having a conversation.
2: Discussy. He's having tantrums when he. <laughs> oh, oh. You are in so much trouble. <laughs>
1: so sorry. That's all all right. no, That's all right. That's we are.
2: Well, awesome. we're, 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 well, we're. We are. We're wrapping up. Yeah.
0: No, no it's okay. It's, okay. Okay. it's raining it's out. It's okay. and yeah. so Now we have visitors. Um, getting out of the rain.
1: No. It's um. Yeah. But. Um, <laughs> but yeah. It's. It is crazy. It's one of those things to where like you're trying to find the silver lining out of it. And like, maybe at least now these conversations will start to be had. People at least know how to do that. Right. Um, But, or at least know that it's there. So it's at least bringing it to the forefront so we can at least maybe perhaps talk about it. And it's not necessarily good, but you got to take some good with. Yeah. With the, with the with the bad, you
0: have to find like the silver lining. It's very true. And you have to, you know, in any situation in life, figure out well what positive can come of this as mm-hmm. opposed to because if you wallow if you sit and say this isn't the way i want it and it's wrong it's bad and i'm just gonna hoo. i mean there's this uh on my website which is dot see she's taking care of things for us already
1: because i was just about to ask <laughs> where can
0: people find you so shari um with an a s-h-a-r-i um like Sherry belafonte um so but so On the site, though, somebody asked me, you know, said, oh, you need to put something on your site about why you wrote this piece. And what's in what's on the page about Pink Mist is I can sit at home and wallow and pour myself a big glass of wine and say it's terrible. The world's a crappy place. People don't care about each other. I mean, that's obviously not true of everyone. But I just mean in terms of what we're talking about. And I'm just going to sit here and be upset and complain or I can do something about it I can make a project that talks about it without talking I mean it, it's a story you're watching it's not a, it's not a conversation but it 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 shows what's happening it's my way of saying this is what I see so now tell me what you see. And also mm-hmm. not being like, part of the problem is too that people look at people, some people look, they're just white hood people and they like to be white hood people and that they're going to be that and they're always going to be there. That's what I mean. You cannot win the fight overall. You cannot. And you have to embrace in this country, in any country, um, that there are people who are going to have differing views and you may know morally they're wrong and you may think it's contradictory. You're a quote Christian and then you want to like, people on a cross, you know, like, that's terrible, right? Obviously, like, that's just so messed up, right? Yes. But, you know, I mean, beyond words, I mean, that's, you can't even explain how horrible that is, but putting those people aside, people who just want to hate to hate, there are people who are lashing out against other people because their lives are so crappy. If you mm-hmm. can't earn a living, you're going to sit there and blame yourself. That's a horrible way to live. Oh my God, I'm a failure. I can't, I my, my minimum wage. I can't raise my kid on, but obviously this is the minimum wage. I should be able to do it because the country says it's enough, but it's not enough. So what ends up happening is people blame other people. They start to blame other people and they, whoa, and, and the, and the government pushes it. It's like, we got to keep the Mexicans out. Why? The Mexicans are taking your job. No, they're not. They're, 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 you you're gonna go to fields and pull pull fruit off trees, I don't think that's the job you want. Yeah. It's a really hard job. It's terrible and it's cheap labor and it's, it's awful in its own way. But they're not invading your life. They're not. I mean, if you look statistically, they're not taking jobs away from people. That's a lie. But it's been imposed on people so then they take it on because the truth is it makes you feel better as a person. Oh, it's not my fault that I can't get by and I didn't get through college or I didn't you know, have that opportunity. It's, it's the Mexicans' fault, which is terrible but it makes them feel better. So it's looking at it and saying, what's going on with them as well? Like this film seeks to also show... With that, I mean, it's, it's, a sh- it's an hour and a half film, right? So there's only so far it can go. But it seeks to show, well, what are their lives like? Because it doesn't excuse it. It doesn't say, oh, well, that's okay then. You can go ahead and blame the Mexican. No, of course not. But if you understand why it's happening, then you can help these people have better lives, fix their lives, maybe raise the minimum wage to the $15, which is still like not that much to ask for. And, you know... Oh, just kicked the microphone, sorry everybody, (laughs) I'm getting excited. But you know, you you can make those changes and in making those changes, then those people will maybe stop lashing out at other people and realize, oh wait a minute, it was because of this. And now I'm getting retrained. I was I was a coal miner now I'm being trained on how to put together solar panels. I don't know, I'm making something up. But you know, I'm being trained. Oh, I have I have self-worth now. I don't need to put other people down to make myself feel better yeah. and I should maybe stop that. And I'm talking about those those are the people you can help and change their views. You cannot change the people who just want to hate. That's their their religion is hate and you have to learn to deal with that in the film. The grandmother is this type of person because she survived the Holocaust of understanding that some some battles you don't fight, you accept you have to, because if you try to fight all of them, you can't. But there are some small ones that you can win. So definitely, that's a, long that's a,
1: that is a, that is true for life. I feel like yes. in general. Well, Sherry, thank you so much for sitting and talking with us double time. We got the double Sherry time because <laughs> Leslie is a silly, silly person who thought she pressed That <laughs> <board and> <laughs> That is my day today. And so you
2: gave out your website. Are you on Twitter or anything else? Where else can people find people you? People can find me
0: on Facebook. Uh, I guess if you just look up Sherry Berman, I'm sorry, I'm terrible. If you go on my website, there are links on the, right. on the homepage to Facebook, my IMD page, I believe, to Twitter. I'm not a big tweeter. I am on there. Once in a while I post stuff, but it's it's rare. And if you happen to be in Milwaukee, uh, the 8th of no, I lied. The 9th of September is when my film's playing, but the Milwaukee Shorts Film Festival, which is the 8th and 9th of September, they show a lot of a wide range of types of shorts. They took my experimental Weird Super 8 film, which features many of the filmmakers are in that film. Um, it's three minutes, but many people, and uh, you should go check it out, and you should check out the other shorts there, too. They're, they really have a lot of great projects. They're very uh, diverse, so
1: awesome well thank That's you so great. much sherry you dropped so much wisdom on us we're not used to having people who edit and direct and write and do so like getting the full spectrum was such a a, a beautiful viewpoint to see so really thank appreciate you. it yeah. yeah thanks for coming yeah. Sherry. Thanks for having me thanks, thanks for, for listening, listening. bye, bye.